Welcome, everybody, to episode 88 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walter Pysik and the infamous Moby Dick Greenfield. Crazy Eights today. This is your best song choice ever, Brandon, I have to say, because it's just, I want to be at JFK Stadium in front of a wall of fucking speakers, just feeling the music <laughs> pulsating through my body in a collective in a, in a which, collective experience which was, which was probably torn down when yeah, Led long Zeppelin gone, was long still gone. together <laughs> no that's not true at all no it, it definitely it definitely was after that live aid baby um rich i you know i think this intro is about you for a couple Why? of reasons number oh, one now i'm scared I, actually i'm wearing my Mickey Mouse sweat. It's actually not my Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. It's Jess's Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. In honor of you today, for those who don't know, Richard S. Greenfield was invited to the Disney Analyst Day. It is this. It is a. New this is era. historic. Is this is historic and yeah. a new era. When's the last time that you personally went to a Disney Analyst Day? A month before. We put a sell on the stock in twenty. No, I don't even think I don't even think you went. The I didn't last, go. I was invited. I was invited. Yes, I don't the, think I actually, actually went. The last two Disney analyst days that you were invited to, um, I attended. There was the ESPN one, and then there was the one um, in uh, Anaheim. But I wasn't even invited to events. It it wasn't even just analyst days. It was like even like screenings and any type of event they did. But the last thing I got invited to was they did a screening of Star Wars um, when the the new one, you know, when number um, seven came out in, I think it was late November, early December of of 2018, just before we went to accelerating on the stock. And um, so this is the, look, it's the Bob Iger's gone. I mean, that's probably one of the first things we should talk about. Iger's gone. It's now fully the Chapik era at Disney, and it looks and like you're, there's you're being a embraced. different approach. You're, you're being embraced by Bob Chapek. It certainly seems that way. I'm very encouraged. So I'll be in Florida in, what is it, what is it? four February or five weeks? 16th. 16th, yeah, 16th like uh, a little over a month, five weeks. So the good news for Rich is clearly he has been invited back into the mouse house. Um, the bad news is after a lot of prodding from Walt and I for, I don't know, over a year, Rich finally decided <laughs> to buy into crypto six weeks ago. And no, probably like, looked, probably like 10 weeks ago, probably 10, 10 weeks ago. ago. And wh- how, what's your overall portfolio performance, Rich? I think we're down 30% in that <laughs> period of time. Hilarious. Um, not to laugh at your personal losses. We've, we've all, experience some some crypto losses lately um but uh that's there it is moby dick greenfield february 16th to the 18th at the mouse house in orlando the week before i was supposed to go to mexico for fish but covid is rearing its ugly head again why don't we get into the first slide because i think that plays perfectly to where we want to start today um which is um, Golden Globes. So Claire Atkinson um, tweets out, no Golden Globes on TV, Grammys are postponed, Sundance in-person events canceled, awards circuit fallout continues. And then Deadline has an article saying, 
Hong Kong Disneyland to close again due to Omicron fears. Omicron. 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 Oh, it's Omicron? I thought it was Omicron. First of all, what does it matter? What does it matter? You guys guys focus so much on pronunciation. Like, I just don't care. Uh, Well, (laughs) the good good news on my part is my wife finally just tested negative. Oh, congrats. We came back from... um, aspen and she was uh she was positive and not feeling well my guess is that i had it when we were away and i just skied through it because i'm like you know a warrior <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah wow, that's this, the is, word this whole this i would have i wouldn't use that for you and illnesses but okay go on all right was but there let's, more to this let, let's take a step back on omicron right yeah um Playing it, playing in the sand, which is the dead Mexico version, canceled this week. Also, John mm-hmm. Mayer tested positive. They can't hold it safely. But look at what's happened in Africa. Look at what's happened in Europe. It's kind of been like a two to three week, you know, march up and a two to three um, week down the curve. Seems like in three, four weeks from now, we're probably not even talking about this variant anymore. We've probably moved on. And uh, it's like, wait and see for the next variant. And we'll have that kind of in-between period where. Okay. So Terry Kawaja made an interesting point in terms of what you're referencing is testing, positive testing going up and down. Yeah. But the reality is, have deaths gone up the way they have? No. They haven't. And okay. I mean, that's what's amazing about Omicron, pronouncing it correctly again, is that it is just a less virulent strain. <laughs> the virus itself has mutated into a form where it can have longer lasting power in hosts without killing them, which is generally kind of the track that these viruses take if they're not going to completely burn themselves out. And that's and therefore, that's do you do do you? In Terry's the tweet that he sent, panic. Yeah. I don't know if panic's necessarily the word, but deal with this in the same way. I mean, if we're going to continue to have variants, but death rates or hospitalization rates are not spiking to absurd levels, like why is there this major shutdown that occurs? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's a really good and open question i'm not exactly sure <laughs> i mean i, I mean we either believe the science and follow the science or you don't i mean you, I don't, you still have 20 percent of the country or so that isn't vaccinated that's so. the problem then then you get it now, now now on the flip oh, side of that it, okay so, no no but on, the, on. But on the flip side of that you just changed the topic so are the deaths spiking no okay so your science is saying that because 20% is vaccinated, that's still a reason for everyone to lock down, even though deaths are not spiking. I'm just saying there are certainly have been worse cases for people that are not people who are not vaccinated have certainly suffered more than people that are at, at their choice. Yeah. But isn't, I mean, but the, thank you. I mean, at yes. the end of the day, that is, the, that is their choice. Are you the mommy state that's going to decide what everyone has to do? Someone in media who I'm not going to disclose, but a very well-known CEO called me up the other day and said, when I raised this point, said, this is the world's greatest IQ test. <laughs> and I can't help but think he's which, 100% which part, right. which part of the IQ test? The like, death's not going up and no, no, no. meaning lockdown? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking well, about getting vaccinated IQ test about, yeah. 
Yeah, I would say that there's a further IQ test about whether you follow science or you don't follow science. Sure. I agree with that. So yeah, there's another, there's a second phase of that IQ test. Let's move on to the next slide. So yeah. probably the biggest in terms of like shocker of this week was the most fun. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess from this, you know, the word, the only word I could think of when this got announced was savage. So let me just read it. Sportico exactly breaking fanatics thought. has reached an agreement to acquire the tops trading card business. So we've talked about on the podcast, how, you know, basically Tops, which was supposed to go public, it was going to SPAC earlier or late last year, it was going to SPAC. They had to pull the SPAC when Major League Baseball and the other leagues decided to shift their trading card business starting in 2024 to Fanatics away from Tops. So Tops was basically going to be destroyed. And so not only do they destroy Tops, the valuation collapses, they end their IPO route. It's basically just going to be a candy company and a gift card company because that's what was basically inside of tops outside of trading cards. So they crush that business and then they come back and they buy it for, I mean, well, I think they, tops was trying they, to go they, public they, at like one to $2 billion. They're buying it. They're buying the trading card business for $500 million. And now they own everything tops starting now versus having to wait till 2024. And they now dominate sense, the entire business. Yeah, I mean, it was there's a couple of like interesting things that Ruben did here. First of all, um he cut he cut these deals. He got those as part of it, he got the leaks to invest <coughs> in the separate Fanatics trading card business. Not only that, but and got some outside investment at a valuation of something like 13 billion dollars. First of all, keep in mind, Tops itself was only, you know, was going to go public at like what a billion and change. We'll say one and a half. Right. So he put. So he pulled that move in terms of his own dilution. Then buys the Tops brand, which is kind of the iconic sports trading brand, along with the contracts that bridge him from (laughs) now to 2026. Right. And I mean, Ruben again continues to be under discussed um except when it comes to like ben simmons or whatever's going <laughs> whatever's going on um with the sixers but has built you know an incredible amount of direct to consumer relationships direct to sports fan relationships through the merchandise building is expanding it now into trading cards and in 2022 we expect him to make further moves whether that is into sports betting um or experiences or media rights so i'll tell you though brandon like i i follow ruben on i follow ruben on instagram and he's a great follow if you don't follow him like he was partying it up he was having the best new year's week in saint bart's on a yacht like he was having a great time you get you know, day that one is, back, day one around. back from vacation and literally just, you know, destroys tops at this value. Like, it's just, it's an amazing story. Like this last 12 months in fanatics, it's just a great storyline of just how to basically disrupt an industry. And, you know, we'll see what happens with sports betting and sports rights. But like, I feel like there's a lot more to, to your point. There's a lot more to this story in 2022. We think they go public this year. Maybe. I mean, maybe too early. I mean, I think there's a lot of pieces to put together. I don't think there, you know, there's no reason to rush. It's a huge company. Yeah. I mean, look, they're just getting into the trading card business now. I mean, like there's lots of pieces that are coming together. So I don't know. It's a good question. Um, Let's move on to um, sort of tied into this is obviously sports betting, 
which you want to read what's happening um, starting, I guess, tomorrow. Sure. This is from the New York Post. Game on! Exclamation point. Mobile sports betting can start in New York on Saturday. And we talked about who the beneficiaries of that are going to be um, immediately, which which is really all the all those who have ad inventory um, and sponsorship inventory in New York that is related to sports betting. So we've seen MSG Entertainment, MSG Sports already cut some deals. There's probably several more. Um, deals and multiple tens of millions of dollars um, worth of deals to come for them. Um, but we've seen you know, billboards uh, throughout New York. I think you saw one um, on subway station, which is probably what out front um, inventory. So they're probably going to see some benefit. And then if you look at those who own the local broadcast stations, um, in the state of New York and in New York City in particular, that's mostly O and O's. Right. Funny thing is the tax rate is so high. The question is, is can anyone even make money in this market? Like with this level of marketing spend? I mean, yeah, you know, I see people posting who's got the best offers. Like they're just hand, I mean, the free money is just flowing. Yeah, you know, just just like in every state. Obviously, there's there's less books in New York State than there is in the other states, but I mean, that gets to another kind of theme that we talked about a lot throughout 2021, which is at what point are, is there ras- rationalization um, in the U.S. sports betting market, and so, which means consolidation um, in some respects and also means um, so, some of these books go away. I know your favorite um, candidate for going away is Fubo. Uh, as I look at my Bloomberg is now a $13.72 stock, which I know you're glad about. You not that I'm checking, not, not that we're checking or obsessed about it, but yeah, yeah it's um, okay. But across, across the board, uh, these sports betting stocks have gotten shot. The industry needs to rationalize. And I think the bigger- I mean, DraftKings was a $75 need, stock, right? Yeah. I'm, what about Penn? Well, like 140 to 40. But or they need to find other forms of monetization. So that's another theme that, as we think about 2022, um, we should see play out. Let's move on to uh, a little wireless, Walter. <laughs> uh, wireless Walter. See, it rhymes. Wireless Walter. <laughs> the inflection of his tone when we when we shift to telecom corners. Like, hey, let's do a little wireless now. And now. It's time for a break in the action. I wish I could do like a drum roll, a drum roll. It makes me laugh every time. I don't know what it is. A a Moby Dick drum roll. I don't know what that means. Uh, It has been, uh, what's the day today? January 7th. It's already been a quite eventful year in the telecom space, which, you know, typically trades in a pretty tight pattern. AT&T is now just crushing T-Mobile's performance. I think that I used to quote the differential in their performance in terms of basis points, but now since we're over a thousand basis points in differential, uh, it's quite something. I mean, a lot of that in at ts case is thanks to Zaz's stock, which is fucking soaring this year. I think Zaz is up, Discovery's up 28%. Yeah, Discovery's up 17% today. Which we'll get to later when we upgrade. talk. Great. <laughs> Go on. Right. But it was already up 10 or 15%. Yeah. Um, but in the wireless land, the issue that we've talked about historically <laughs> is 
subscriber growth and who's growing faster. And the fact that, look, T-Mobile is just not as much as a growth story as, as I think people have anticipated. And we got some data points this week, which was that AT&T announced, pre-announced that they had 880,000 subscriber additions. And that compared to T-Mobile, who came out at 848, which is not a terrible number for T-Mobile. Um, the bigger issue at underscore is just AT&T is growing faster. And again, if you remember what we've talked about here is let's look at 2022 and the numbers have started coming in. So AT&T, I'm sorry, T-Mobile, you know, only six months ago, people thought they could add 3 million subs. That's now down to two seven. And frankly, it's got to come down more. I don't think they can do even two five. So sub sub growth has to come down. They're just not adding for subs. 2022. And, and what for do you the think? The big, what's the biggest driver of that? You think? Well, the, like, what do you think? Is, well, as we said before on prior podcasts, perhaps you forgot, is that the industry had added 9 million subs and everyone's like, look, it has to moderate in 2022. So what people were doing was was because they all have buys on T-Mobile and it's a consensus long is they cut their estimates for AT&T for 22 and then said, oh, T-Mobile can continue to perform. So basically everyone's looking and saying, look, the industry can't, go, can't grow as fast. Now they're starting to say, oh shit, it looks like AT&T is not going to just forego all this market share. So as conversely, even though T-Mobile's consensus net ad came down, what happened at AT&T? Six months ago, the estimate for AT&T for 2022 was 325,000 subs. You know what it is now? 1.7 million. I mean, that's, that, that's a crazy change. That's a crazy change. And by the way, how do you explain that? Well, they're going to do I mean, better that's... than that. How do you explain that? It's called, I have a, it's a consensus long on T-Mobile. I need to prop up my revenue numbers. And like, you're just, you're throwing number estimates out there. Everyone hates, hated AT&T. So it was just easy like, to hate. It was easy to hate. It's easy to hate. 10 year lows, like fucking divestment. Bad M&A, bad M&A right. mistakes. And, and ignoring that so quarter after. And ignoring that quarter after quarter, AT&T was kicking T-Mobile's ass on postpaid subs, just ignoring right. it. And, and by the way, th this outperformance all started when AT&T cut the deal with Dish. And like, if you look at the stock chart, just bring it up. Like AT&T cut the deal with because T-Mobile was was like basically really you know jamming on Dish and uh, and screwing with them. So Dish just went to AT&T and say, fine, we'll fucking take your $2 billion of roaming traffic over to our network. Look at T-Mobile stock. Then compare to the group, you know, up until this point, that was the turning point of the, of the starting of the, of the realization about what the hell's going on at T-Mobile. Do you want to talk about the second part of this? Sure. I mean, the positive light on T-Mobile, which obviously didn't shine through since the stock's off 5% today is they added 224,000 broadband net ads. These were all wireless broadband net ads. And that's up from, they added 130 last quarter. And if you remember, like the, the stuff that was hurting Charter and Comcast a few months ago was the Q3 numbers that were announced. So the wireless operators, as, as evidenced by T-Mobile, continue to have traction at adding broadband subs. In addition to that, you have the F, remember the, all the stuff of the airlines? That was resolved this week. So Verizon is now clear to go. And in two weeks, they're going to be, you know, if you look at all the stuff they announced, it really didn't do much different in the, in the wireless side of things. What they're targeting is those broadband customers, 25 bucks a month, 
They're going to start paying commissions to salespeople in those stores that they weren't previously doing. So you walk into a Verizon wireless store and 80% of people still do this where they, if I want to upgrade my phone, I'm not fucking buying it on Apple's website. I'm going to an AT&T or a Verizon store. You walk into the Verizon store, they're like, how's your cable connection at home? How about you take this little white box home with you for 25 bucks a month? And that sales guy is getting, you know, getting paid a commission on pushing yeah. that product. So, so to me, like, okay, the, the other thing it's getting kind of overshadowed today because T-Mobile stock's getting whacked on other issues, but like, look, the, the broadband sub is good. And this is the stuff that the wireless operators will focus on because it can be, whether it's Verizon or T-Mobile, it can be beneficial to their stock if they can show that there's an incremental revenue stream that they can layer on. Um. And then, of course, there's the effect on other industries. Right. I mean, like, you know, Cable. Like, uh, that's what I was just going to say. Like, it, it's obviously sort of, you know, the the bigger the 5G home gets, it, you know, cables already got issues of maturity, which, you know, I think is what has spooked people in the sort of the supposed move issues that they keep highlighting. But then you start to add on just not massive numbers, but just growing numbers. And it's just it just adds to the concerns. Sure. And we'll say, I mean, I think we'll see what cable has to say. I'm sure they're going to say the typical wireless can't have an impact and yada, yada. But, you know, this is, um, you know, we'll see what the impact is on ARPU as well. That's been another primary driver. stock. I think everyone's focused on the subs now. But the other driver in cable stocks has been on the broadband side of things is this ability to continue to drive ARPU higher during the pandemic. You were getting people to high, faster sure. speed rate plans. There's also price increases. If you layer on some competition from T-Mobile and Verizon on the wireless side, like maybe that ability is um, might not be as, as strong as it was in the past. Yeah. And I don't think it hurts the high end. Like I don't think like the fiber upgrade of sure. Altice, I don't think is getting hurt by 5G home. But to your point for that, you know, I don't want to say lower end, but the, you know, price sensitive customer who isn't using a tremendous amount of video streaming or isn't using it for gaming, maybe like. There's got to be a group of 10 or 15 percent of the of the customer base that this makes sense for. Like, I don't know whether it's my mom or, you know, like, I don't know, but there's definitely a group that this has to be interesting for, even if it's not a pure substitute for the average customer. Yeah, that's Charlie Ergen theory. Look at what Fios did when they went to mix and match to Altice, right? I mean, I had that personal experience where whatever I was able to to get effectively a cheaper rate. After Charter was trying to crank people up on their on their price, um, you know this is a twenty five bucks a month for their their. If you're going to be qualified for this, it's a couple hundred megs down, maybe twenty or thirty up. You know, you're right. That's not appeal to a high end customer. There's a lot of cable customers out there that are not getting those types that type of performance. Or alternatively, like if Charter was going to feed off of DSL customers to get incremental market share, like why couldn't those DSL customers just as easily switch to this product? And then the finally, I mean, in the connectivity okay. world, there's, there's satellite too, right? And to what extent is that going to shake the market up in 2022? Well, um, I mean, look, satellite, I think is targeted still at the rural market, but the, the speeds that they're providing and and what Elon is Elon's got a new product out there. They're they've dramatically lowered the price of the the consumer the premise equipment. Um, you've got satellite, but the on the other end, Brandon on the high end, you also have fiber, right? I mean, you have Frontier investing, AT and T investing. So it's it's basically you're getting attacked on several fronts. And by the way, you have the government 
funding billions of dollars um, for for broadband as well. So there's just a lot of resources um, going into this area. And like, look, you could argue that Verizon, oh, at 25 bucks a month, they're going to jam the network. Maybe. But like, that's not stopping them from doing it. That's the same argument that a cable bull would say about fiber. Like, oh, the economics aren't good. Maybe, but they're still doing it, right? Capital is cheap. They're still going forward with these projects. Maybe they end up BKing all of these projects, but like in the interim, that's going to be, <laughs> they're, they're throwing money at going after that market. So in terms of sort of things that we did not expect this week, we woke up this morning um, and there was an 8K filed by Roku um, that hit Bloomberg and says Roku announces Scott Rosenberg to step down as SVP and GM of the platform business. Um, you know, I checked Scott's 47. Um, so this is not like he's old and, you know, uh, you know, this is not like an old age thing. Like he's stepping away, like Iger retiring. Like this is just shocking news. Scott, it really was. I mean, am I misremembering? Was he going to step away last year? Also? No, Steve Loudon was. So oh, remember, Loudon was. So the okay. CFO, Steve Loudon, right. had announced he was retiring okay. or leaving. Now, Steve, Steve had a very good reason, though. He was moving to Oregon. He wanted to be with his family. He wanted a change of life and to move up to rural Oregon and ended up not leaving after they couldn't find the right person or whatnot. And ended up just wanting in the sort of the world sort of change, right? Like remote work became more tenable and he decided to work remotely as CFO. I think the difference is probably for Scott, you really can't do that job in terms of running the ad business and running the partnership business. You probably can't do that remotely from somewhere. Um, I don't know if it speaks to something larger, but it's just, he is like the key. I mean, when you think about the entire advertising business, that's driving Roku stock from, you know, I mean, where is Roku today from a market cap standpoint? That, dro down that drove it almost to the stock to 500. It is at 180. Yeah, but it's 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 still a, you know, it's still what a $25 billion market cap company. It hit probably 50 billion at its peak. That is, I think, you know, yes, Anthony Wood was the was, genius that created the product and the 70, platform. 70 billion. But, 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 you know, Scott was so instrumental in building out the platform there's no obvious replacement. Um, this is a big loss. And I think it's, you know, I think the reason the stock is down today is like investors are like, what in the world? Like if, if Roku is in such great position for the next several years, why would Scott be leaving now? He's obviously made a tremendous amount of money and he's obviously still a young guy, but like, why now? It's just sort of a weird, very unexpected development for Roku. And, and someone that I think you know, we have a tremendous amount of respect for. I mean, I've been really impressed with what he's been able to build and how he's proven, you know, the ad side of this business. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business yeah. from nothing. No, I mean, we met a lot with Roku in the early days of the business. It wasn't really, you know, obvious to how they were going to build a big business. A, a profitable a company business. Or a profitable business out of, you know, essentially dongles right. <laughs> um, that they were selling at a small margin above, above bomb. Um, the layering on of the ad tech business was a genius move, but we're at the point now where everybody else in the industry, in the television industry is kind of playing by Roku's playbook and the dongle is losing its importance. So, you know, essentially every operating system 
is as good as who they're aligned with um, in terms of hardware manufacturers. And it seems like for Roku to get bigger than it is or grow market share substantially, there's two paths. One is to you know, buy somebody um, that manufactures television and get like deeper into vertical integration on, on the television side. And the other is to somehow build their own and operated ad inventory, which is going to mean exploding the Roku channel um, with content. The thing is, there's just a lot of competition um, in, in SVOD and AVOD right now. So it's yep. going to be an interesting year for, um, for Roku. The other sort of, you know, I'd say it's the least surprising news of the week was that the New York Times finally decided to buy The Athletic. This deal has been rumored, I think, probably on and off now, nine months, at least nine months. I, specifically I like. with The New York Times or just specifically? No, no. I mean, it's been for sale for sure. But The New York Times has been on again, off again. And there's obvious reasons why, like New York Times is trying to figure out how it's, you know, once you have a subscription business, you want to tack more onto it. That's the Amazon model. And I think the New York Times has done an incredible job of building its subscription business. And so how do you leverage that into other verticals? And they're obviously weakest in sports. Like nobody reads the New York Times for sports. No one really, I think. So there's a huge opportunity to build sort of the sports vertical at the Times, the way they've done with other, you know, sort of things that they've layered on business-wise, whether it's crosswords, whether it's, you know, um, food cooking. The, the, the thing that's surprising is it got revealed on yesterday's conference call. So let me just read it. Scoop, New York Times to buy The Athletic for $550 million. That was Jessica Tunkel at The Information, um, finally breaking that story yesterday. But All cash deal. Right. So what, minimizes, what was minimizes the dilution? It, it does. And New York Times has the cash. The surprising element was on the conference call they had last night. They actually revealed full financials. And so they said that the athletic had 55 million of revenue last year and 65 million of losses. And because they pay their people probably a lot more than the New York Times. And the issue then is like, that was, that's, that was the whole sex appeal, I think, of any of these kind of spin out new agencies. Hey, subscription model, you can make a ton more. And then so how's that going to work at the New York Times? Are they going to rationalize those expenses? And if so, those people leave and start up a new. Well, <laughs> it, it came up on the conference call. No, it's a great point. Well, because on the conference call, Meredith, who's the CEO, was asked a question by someone and said, well, I would assume that the people who work at The Athletic are making more than the same job type person at The New York Times. Like, how does that yeah. work? Like, is there just, you know, almost like channel conflict of like, how do you pay someone over here more than someone over there? Because they say they're going to run the businesses independently. Now, look, I think there's lots of revenue synergies. Like The New York Times has an incredible technical understanding and analytical system for subscriptions that has to be better than what The Athletic has. It feels like those scratch. European acquisitions of brokers in the in the U.S. when the when the U.S. guys were making a shit ton more than the European their European counterparts. So I'm, I'm sure they figure out a way to manage. If you want to hold on to talent, right? There are yep. <laughs> you got to likely pay them. There are alternatives in Substack and other ways yep. for for writers, journalists to monetize themselves. Um, I don't know if you know, they just lost their editor, didn't they? (laughs) Well, Derek Bodner, who covers the Sixers um, for the athletic actually just left at the beginning of this year. And he's starting a Substack. 
No, I said the new, didn't the New York Times just lose one of their top opinion editors? And what's funny about that, Walt, is that Ben Smith, who's a, certainly a friend of Lightshed, and we have high respect for Ben, he's leaving with Justin, who ran Bloomberg Media, and they're going to go start another new media company, um, you know, news media company. And it's like, God, how many news media companies? New, you know, we have Axios. Like, there's just everyone keeps trying to create a new news media business. It's just not clear how you actually make like lots of money. I mean, to your point, creating quality athletic. content. That's how you make money. Unbundle and rebundle. So there you go. We'll see. I mean, I look, I like this because I, I do think from the New York Times standpoint, even though I think a lot of people are skeptical about this deal, what I like about it is the more subscriptions you have, the more subscriptions you offer, the bigger you make that bundle of products, oh, it the be- churn's going to go down. I mean, there's if you do it right, and then there's obvious cross promotion. Like the New York Times has an enormous right. funnel to to sell. Stock uh, is down eight percent, though. This is definitely being shit on by investors. They well, don't like this, that it's losing sixty five million. It was it was up six percent yesterday, right? Because um, people thought this was amazing, five, five, and five, now they're like, "Holy shit, it loses so sixty five million dollars." Right. Or it's just a market sell off. It could be yeah. anything. I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much in in one day performance. <laughs> And while ignoring the yesterday's performance, right? Okay, well, let's let's move to something a bit more fun than talking about the New York Times and the Athletic. <laughs> um, I, I don't even know how to, Brandon, tee this up. I mean, I, I guess this is the this ongoing is just, battle this between is, Jake. This is, this is our kind of like fun break, right? This is um, Jake Paul and Dana White have been in a and battle. Who's Dana White, Brandon? Dana White runs the UFC. Thank you. Right. So and even though Endeavor owns it, Dana White yeah. is fully in charge of UFC. Right. And, and Jake Paul decided to become a boxer. And it's, I think the last three uh, opponents that he boxed, which he beat and the Woodley knockout was pretty vicious. Um, the, the most recent fight. These are former uh, UFC were, fighters, were all that Jake- former, former UFC fighters. And he is trying to get Dana White to release those fighters um, to to or to release current UFC fighters to to box him. And, you know, Dana White is accusing him of being on steroids and and all these other things. And Jake Paul, let's just let's play the tape. Let's just play the tape because it's so good. It's just fun. Jake, you never responded to the challenge. <laughs> Dana, I accepted every part of your challenge. I said I would fight Masvidal in MMA. They were test me whenever the fuck you want. It is two weeks after my fight, and I am a fat bitch. I don't do steroids, <laughs> and I take it as a compliment because there's no other excuse to me knocking out all of your champions than this kid does steroids. Look at me. Look at that. A fat bitch. If you steroid test me, then he I want to kind of look like every me. one of your fighters. Fat belly. Ooh, you want to do it though, will you? I use cocaine. I'm in St. Bart's, <laughs> one of the nicest beaches in the world. You're ruining my vacation. Yeah. We were on a yacht party last night, Meek Mill, Drake, everybody, Mike Tyson going crazy. You have been caught with cocaine and hookers every other week. I use cocaine. And you think that, like, with all the money that you have, like, billionaire or some shit, that you would get some fucking Botox because your forehead looks like a motherfucking GPS Google map, like all the lines in it and shit. <laughs> I use cocaine. And you say Masvidal <laughs> is a pay-per-view superstar. <laughs> 
Okay, that's enough of that. But I mean, look what what Jake is sort of been. The GPS up. map is amazing. My forehead's um, starting to look like a GPS map. I like that is, zoom. You could turn it off so it smooths it out, though. But, but what's Pretty interesting cool. is, is is Jake has been pushing really hard on what fighters get paid. I think it's an issue yeah. that you've raised, Brandon, is that yep. fighter compensation is certainly an issue. UFC certainly pays people probably, you know, the UFC's made a tremendous amount of money. And the question is, is how much of that's going to have to ultimately go to the talent? We've obviously seen in lots of other leagues, NBA, NFL, like we see where player compensation keeps taking a bigger and bigger portion of the revenues. And yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at revenue sharing across the leagues, I know Major League Baseball right now is in lockout and they're resolving some of these issues and other competitive issues, but it's generally a 50-50 split, split <laughs> between players and owners. And in UFC, it is nothing close to that. There's no health insurance um, or healthcare benefits for the fighters. So that kind of narrative is once again, rearing its ugly head. Um, there's the idea that that opens the door for um, competitive MMA promotions. We haven't seen any of real substance or real competition to UFC emerge, but it's something to watch. And then on the flip side of that, um, the other thing that was on the slide there, I think indicated that uh, I could read it. Um, ESPN raises pay-per-view price for the third time since the Endeavor UFC acquisition. So ESPN, it, obviously they're doing their own elasticity analysis, um, is finding ways to make even more um, well, money from that deal. But I want to highlight what's interesting about that is not only are they raising the price, I mean, they've raised the price of ESPN plus multiple times. You have to have ESPN plus to buy the pay-per-views. And on top of that, they're raising the pay-per-view price. And so that's that double whammy. But to me, it just speaks to how valuable UFC is becoming to consumers. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the or, elasticity or at curve. Least, or at least to ESPN plus. Well, but, but again, there's only three years left on that contract. And so the question becomes, Yes, it's early to start thinking about it, but if if there's this much pricing power on the product, yep. it's got to be pretty darn important to the consumer, which means there's a whole group of consumers at any one of these streaming platforms who wants to compete should be is probably going to be looking at this going, what do we have to pay to steal this from ESPN Plus? Just something to think about because we look out right. over and, the, yeah, the next and couple ESPN of years. is clearly getting a lot more revenue out of it than was originally anticipated at the time of the negotiation. So you're probably, I know we're looking way out, looking at an up deal for UFC. Correct. Which is probably not what people, certainly not what we thought two years ago. I have two comments about the video. Um, first of all, it appears that he's at Nikki Beach, which let me just say is not the best beach in the world by a wide margin, especially now that it's littered with sarcosum, that <laughs> nasty seaweed that's all over St. Bart's that they try and shovel and, off the beaches. And a lot of the rest of the Caribbean. And, and secondly... I just wonder if this battle is kind of a fake battle. There's the um, Andy Kaufman, uh, Jerry Lawler fake battle where they ended up getting in the ring together. This has certainly brought a lot of attention to his fights. Is it possible? And, you know, the fact that he knocked him out, like maybe UFC is just another WWE. And like, are these, <laughs> is this a real oh. battle that he's having uh, with the UFC? Well, Jake is certainly using it to build his reputation and the interest in his. Sure, but why could no doubt about but why, it? But why couldn't that dude from the UFC be in on it? Because it's fun yeah. to have. Dude, it's, it's this is all entertainment, right? It's just entertainment. 
if this it looks- generates interest, we're talking about it. Other people are putting it on their TikToks and Instagrams, Reels, or whatever the hell it is. Brandon, maybe Walter's just smarter than everyone else. No, I mean, Jake Paul, it's not crazy. by the way, is a marketing genius. Right. Yeah, so maybe that's what this is. <laughs> Let's move on. Video games, or I, I guess uh, VR, actually, not even video games. Well, I guess it kind of sinks into video games. So looking at this slide, there's two, I guess there's, two one of them is very long um tweets here the first is from playstation playstation vr2 is the next uh generation of vr on ps5 details on the ps vr2 sense controller 4k oled display single cord setup and more um and so at ces um playstation did that <laughs> ces the very sparsely attended ces um playstation did their uh, press conference unveiled um, the next version, the PS5 version of of uh, of their VR rig, um, along with um, some content. And I, content is a, a key piece of this um, in differentiating PlayStation from Oculus, right? Because obviously PlayStation has deals with um, a number of different studios. Um, and probably has a leg up on bringing VR to gamers, to hardcore gamers. And gaming is clearly uh, the first major use of VR. Then on the other side, we got one that says, so Facebook probably won the holiday season with Oculus hardware. But the true test is going to be whether or not anyone is really still using these things in two months. I think we're still a few years from that not happening and um, totally agree with this. Um, We were on CNBC and had a a conversation with with the hosts about it and brought up the point, first of all, that on Christmas Day, Oculus was the number one app in the iOS app store. and the, but the problem is, and I think we discussed this last week. Yep, people use it. We've used it for a couple of weeks, and then you kind of forget about it. Uh, one is because a lot of the content isn't that compelling, and two is because it's still not the best consumer experience, especially the Oculus. Despite the fact that it's lighter weight, it still can get you a little bit nauseous. So, I we've you know, metaverse wars are going to heat up in 2022. You have the launch of um, um, for coming from Epic of Fortnite Creative 2.0. Roblox is, you know, trying to push into older demos. And Facebook's way in is on Oculus. Not, not sure how much traction they see despite the sales. What was exciting at CES was there's a lot of electronic vehicles that were that were launched. That's the market seems to be exploding. Sony's going to have an EV. Maybe Samsung should have one. They, they probably know a lot about batteries, which is an important thing for EVs. So that maybe that was a more interesting thing to come out of the CES that no one attended. Did you see that BMW that changes colors too? That was kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, like that. The you know, the Amazon's trying to get into the car with Prime, you know, with Fire TV and trying to make the car more sort of content. That was a CES. But, yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, so far, I haven't seen anything that seemed so like 
Easy, easy, baby. It seemed more honestly. I'm seeing more tweets and more things about like crypto conversations, like almost like it, almost like what just happened at um, um, at Art Basel, right? Like it seems like every conference right now is becoming a chance to talk about crypto and Web three rather than sort of what these conferences used to be more about. Well, Rivian just busted its IPO price, and maybe it just start saying that it'll take crypto for purchase of its of, of the Rivian cars. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working um, out for GameStop today? Oh, they're up 6%. So it's been a fade. Oh, next next tweet here we got um, from Bobby Allen. Al- Al- I feel like this stat would shock some people on Twitter. And he highlights the following. For every hour that Americans listened to podcasts in 2021, they listened to six and a half hours of AM FM radio, according to Edison Research. So for me and our friends at Odyssey. I agree. I mean, Angelo Cataldi. I love that guy. Unfortunately, he's retiring this year. I do actually listen to it in podcast form, though. I do listen to it sometimes live through the app. So yeah, radio is still still a thing. But I think Rich is, is anxious to get in. He's ready to no, interrupt me just, and have another It's just very simple. No, no, no. Oh, it's actually, I totally agree with you, Walt. Like the, the obvious part of this is people still drive to work every day. And they spend an average of two hours in a Not car commuting to work. Anymore. <laughs> obviously People less, but they, but they spend two hours commuting to work. And in that commute, they turn on the radio with in like that radio time is still really substantial. And it's been, yes, is it shrinking? It's been shrinking for a long time, but it's much smaller than people actually realize. And it, you know, on the one hand, you can say that's terrible for podcasting. I think the right way to think about it is it's still really early. I mean, podcasting is still getting, you know, discovery mechanisms. We've talked a lot about the advertising experience, the quality of the content on podcasts. Like, you know, I mean, it's not like Spotify has been in this business for years. I mean, this is sort of like really, if you think about it, it's like year three. And so the ad numbers are just starting to pick up. I mean, we're breaking, you know, finally broken through with the billion dollar barrier, but it's still very early. And I think those numbers on terrestrial radio just point to just how big the long-term opportunity is for podcasting, not just domestically, but globally as the business builds. So a lot of these new EVs getting tying it back to my last comments. Um, I mean, my friend just got a Mustang, sweet yep. car, electric, but they, and they're also like, <laughs> they're basically replicating Tesla with putting the iPad on there. Obviously, hopefully mm-hmm. Apple or, will come out with their own car, but it's going to make it easier for you to consume that type of contest podcast. I mean, look, Odyssey offers you a stream of stuff, but like you can obviously make it easier for the consumer to, to do that rather than hit the radio and turn on what the, whatever the local radio station is. I mean, that's obviously going to have an impact or as those cars continue to change out. Look, I even have a Tesla. And when you Tesla. go to, when you plug in or when you Bluetooth in the Tesla with your phone, sure. It has some podcast apps, but like it doesn't have pocket cast, which I use, mm. like it doesn't have your Castro. Like they're not, you can't use those. Like, so you can just Bluetooth and play from your phone, but those apps are not built in and make it. So it's a seamless and easy experience where you can easily just navigate through your, everything that you have saved. So like, you know, well, maybe Apple not podcast today, obviously but doesn't may, work, but maybe not today, but, but the way that works, as you know, is you could just get a software update one day. Sure. No, I can be an app store and you can have access to all those things. So. At some point, this is the walled. It reminds me of those early days of like Vcast, and like there is a walled garden for all of this stuff right now. That is not the best consumer experience. The day when you know you can just basically use whatever you want in the car will be when it really becomes exciting and interesting. But we're not there yet. Uh, let's shift gears to HBO, which had 
a pretty incredible year. Um, you know, we made a prediction last year, and I think we talked about this last week that, you know, we thought HBO Max would get, or HBO and HBO Max would get to 50 million subs uh, by the end of the calendar year. Um, well, we don't know whether that was accurate because th- this, this tech crunch is the headline from HBO is HBO, including HBO Max, ends 2021 with 73.8 million global subscribers. It probably means, based on the split of domestic and international, probably means 47, 48 million subscribers in the US. So that is short of the 50 million we predicted. On the flip side, the only reason it's short and they didn't crush our estimate is they made the decision to leave the Amazon app store, the Amazon channel store, and basically to build their business wholly on their own. And so we love that decision, but we certainly didn't know they were going to do that a year ago. And they probably lost four to 5 million subscribers. So my guess is they're really close probably fell a little short and I wouldn't be surprised within the first half of 2022, they get past that 50 million mark. Remember, nobody thought they could do 50 million, you know, when we set that expectation. So it's a pretty big number. And as we look forward to 2022, the question is what is, you know, as the the Warner Bros discovery deal closes, what does Zaz do with, um, with HBO max? Does he bring discovery into HBO Max or not? Do those remain separate products? And to what level of content investment is he willing um, is is he willing to go? And what type of content? And I think that's you know out of our last trip to LA, that seemed to be you know, the biggest question. With a lot of optimism, is is how much is David going to spend to really blow out um, to blow out his streaming service? It seems to me, and Rich would know better, but it seems to me, based on our light shed premium access, and I think we should do that again clearly within the next couple of months. Yep. This is the this is this personality person. This guy is large lives a larger than life personality. And he's the type of guy that I think would want to invest. And and look, the library is good and and people don't give him credit for the fact that the app has improved. Think about how far that app has come over the past year and the content library we always said was good. So now you're discovering it more and there's been new content. So like, why yeah. wouldn't he, why wouldn't he invest? I mean, it? it's a, it's a far better app. And by the way, I say this, you know, also acknowledging <laughs> that I couldn't get on HBO max for like five days because mm-hmm. it wasn't working with, with Google television and, or Chromecast. Is, is that correct, Rich? You had the exact same problem. That there was a um, bug that has the been affected. overall app experience is far superior to some of the more nascent um, uh, players. I'm actually... You know who you are. Pe- yeah, I'm watching Peacock right now because... Oh my God, don't I, even get I, me started. No, I, I, heard, I heard Yellowstone was good. And so I've watched the first... Um, <laughs> I think four episodes. I'm I'm actually really enjoying it. It's weird though because the first what three seasons are on Peacock, and then the fourth season is on Paramount Plus. Definitely yeah. deserves to be on Paramount Plus. Boomer show. It, it's pretty good. It is a boomer show, <laughs> but if you like the mountains like I do, you appreciate That's the true. scenery and some of it's far fetched, but it's pretty action packed. Who Keeps shot Jr. <laughs> <laughs> is it Dallas um, Redux? <laughs> speaking speaking of content, we've got two two headlines that I think are worth talking about. First of all, the Kevin Mayer, Tom Staggs, we've had them on Light Shed Live talking about their Blackstone backed content roll up. They made another big deal this week. But before we get to that, 
they named their company. They called it Candle. I, you know, I can't help but think it ties to Lumiere, um, you know, within Beauty and the Beast, where they both came from Disney. But maybe I'm overthinking it. But nah, it's cult- just because Light Shed, they wanted something to do with Light. Correct. Light Shed was 100% Oh, true. so they're channeling their inner Light Shed. I yes. got it. I didn't uh, think about that. Mm-hmm. Duh. Mm, it's all about shedding light. <laughs> but um, the first is Wall Street Journal. Westbrook, the media company founded by Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, is an advanced stock to sell minority stake to a firm led by former Disney execs. They sold 10%. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of content pieces that Kevin and Tom and Blackstone are rolling up very quickly. And, um, you know, from kids, they bought the company that made Fauda. Uh, if you saw that on Netflix, like they're just putting together a lot of interesting pieces. I'm not totally sure why a 10% stake. So hopefully maybe we can have Kevin and Tom back on Lightshed Live at some point to talk yes. about why. Big stakes versus small, you know, ownership seems very different than taking minority stakes, but we'll learn more about that. But then the other story this week is someone that we've spent time with as well, the Russo brothers, which are the um, the team behind um, Avengers Endgame and has a huge movie on Netflix coming up, I think a $300 million negative cost film called The Gray Man. Um, their company, Agbo, I think I'm saying that right, yep. sells 38% stake to video game firm Nexon for $400 million in the embrace of virtual worlds. A staggering number and like not what I was expecting in terms of who would take, I mean, you would think like Viacom would be taking a stake or Kevin and Tom's, you know, this new Candle Media Nexon, Brandon, help me with this. No, I mean, this is another theme that we talked about throughout 2021, which is the growing amount of or importance of interactivity um, in not just the gaming world, but in life in general and in and in video. And so I think you're going to see the creation of experiences of interactive experiences based on uh, linear IP. And you're going to see linear IP created on the back of, of interactive experiences or games. And that's, I mean, you've already seen a ton of movies and TV shows based on game content. Obviously the Witcher has been, is a great example has been a great success um, for Netflix. You have, um, if you look at Netflix going into gaming, look at Netflix going into gaming this year. We've talked a lot about Netflix going into gaming. Um, We've talked about um, different types of cloud based game experiences like miles, um, which is why we invested in, in Jacob Navuk um, and the work that he's doing there. So, I mean, uh, entertainment is, is coming. The lines are blurring. The The lines lines are are starting to blur. Yeah. Let's move on to our final two slides. And, you know, um, this one, I think is just, I was sort of just so shocked by this headline. Um, It's IMAX closes out 2021 with the best fourth quarter at the global box office since 2017. So, you know, the, the fourth quarter um, box office for IMAX was actually up 15% versus 2019, the last sort of normalized year for, for box office. But what's amazing about that is overall demand, that's a global number, but the domestic box office in Q4 for the industry was down 29%. So just the the sheer outperformance of IMAX, and it just, 
and I think part of it is look at the films that are working. The films that are working are sort of big, massive, you know, you know, how did Vox do in Q4 in general compared to 2019? It was down 30%. Down 30%, right? So and IMAX was up 15. Now it's global versus domestic, but it's just an incredible look. IMAX is becoming the movie industry. That's the quote. Like, I mean, that is what you're seeing is like if you're going to go see a movie, you're increasingly likely to see it on an IMAX screen. Like, and we know theaters, theaters are going to shrink. They're going to go out of business. There's going to be fewer theaters in the, in the world. But the IMAX number of screens is going to keep taking more and more share. I just think, you know, it's just sort of amazing when you look at sort of how IMAX has positioned itself over the course of the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that when we get to an eventual restructuring in the theater business, what they're going to have to do is become as differentiated as possible from the home experience. And right now, IMAX with the, the much larger screen is a real um, point of differentiation, but there's going to have to be others th- to enhance the theatrical experience. The AMC and, in Porchester has a Dolby Digital Theater that I think is the best in the area. But li- that's yeah. called Limax. No, it well, isn't. No, no, hold it's hold on, Dolby Digital. But no, let me it's, finish. It's, no, it's not an IMAX. Not- so to be clear. That's, I didn't say it was an IMAX. Okay. I was, yeah, I was going to continue. Everyone used to call it <laughs> I was literally going to continue, but then we got jumped in on twice. So that is, in my opinion, the best theater in this area. But then beyond that, it's IMAX and they're all reserved seats and, and no one, not many people will want to see, by the way, there's 3D screens that no one goes to see, but no one wants to see these movies, anything less than. Um, IMAX or this Dolby, Dolby digital screen that AMC has in in uh, in Portchester. So I mean, so my bottom line is what you just presented should not be surprising to anyone. And, and to your point, the, the movies that are actually draw people into a theater for the collective that Quentin Tarantino has reflected are these big movies. And the collective on Spidey was amazing. I've seen it twice in the theater, and the collective of having people in a the theater is amazing. But in both cases, it was an IMAX theater. Yeah, I mean that—that's sort of the opportunity, and like that's what I think is interesting. And I, you know, who, I, it just—it feels like IMAX is in in a very difficult and troubled industry that I think is going to go through a lot of pain over the course of the next couple of years. IMAX actually looks like it's actually reasonably well positioned, and I don't—I don't know how many people really see that. Um, and I think this past quarter certainly proved that. But the the best way I thought to end this week's podcast was talking about the most absurd thing that happened. Um, we love talking about the Adam Aaron. absurd thing and absurd this, thing. This is pretty absurd. AMC, in the depths of you know financial distress, having to raise capital, still CEO comes out at they the beginning of the year. Multiple billion dollars of cash. They do, but they're burning cash. So okay, you know, but I would. They, you're not in financial distress if you have a several billion dollars of cash in your balance sheet. Okay, you, you have covenants though that you are not you know yeah, that's living true, up but to. But it's not like you have no cash to spend on a float. Fine. But you're you're <laughs> paying, dun, 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 dun. but you're paying, you're <laughs> literally paying for a float at the Rose Bowl parade, and your CEO is sitting on the float waving to everyone. So let's play right, the clip. So I, think it's, it's, I, so look, I think it's a very funny video, which hopefully people will see on our screen. But again, like how much does a float cost? There are ad dollars associated with it. It's funny, Rich, but it's not like some well, underscoring thing of like they're spending their last dollars on a float. They have Rich is dollars of cash. Rich is Come on. Why don't why don't they just issue some coins? Exactly. To pay for it? He was throwing out bitcoins. 
physical Walt, Bitcoin the, guilt. Bitcoin I think guilt. The, I think the bigger issue with Walt is you've never seen a movie theater advertise ever. Yeah, movie theaters don't advertise. We have some guilt in the closet here. But let's let's play the video. Thank you. We'll just wait for Adam to wave. There he is, waving to the crowd. See, that's the funny part because it looks like a Mike Myers movie where he's like waving from like a, I don't even know what. It's just so bad. AMC, Tournament of Roses, Moby Dick. Who who was in the Rose Bowl? Brandon, what was the Rose Bowl? I don't even know who was, was that Ohio the, State was in the, or no, the Ohio maybe Mark. the Ohio State Utah game it must have been the Rose Bowl right yeah that so, that yeah, game was so, awesome actually yeah it was awesome it's, it didn't it's, didn't it's, like it's that too, didn't didn't like that Utah um, well, lost it, it was an exciting was, game unlike Utah's that Michigan unlike that Michigan uh, playoff oh, that was, game which was that a disaster. Was awful. That and was now, the worst game I ever watched. Now all of Michigan Nation is bugging out that Harbaugh is going to leave ah. and and go to the NFL. A year ago, everybody hated fucking Harbaugh. Now they're worried he's going to so leave he beats, even he, he coming beats, he, because he beat Ohio State. So, right, and at the end of and at the end of the day, Ohio State once and won how many bowl games since he's been there? And uh, now now I they mean, want him to stay. Okay. Yo, crank this up. I need this drum solo right now, Rich. That's as high as it goes. Oh, yeah. You feeling it, Brandon? Not yet. Uh, am I back at JFK Stadium standing in front of that wall of Did you actually see Led Zeppelin? No way. You're not that old. Actually, they did have like one reunion. That's episode 88, everybody. No, it's not. It is. That's 88. Crazy eights. We got nothing left to say. We're out of here. All right.